This time on Matters. What does success look like to you? Matt talks about that Dillinger 4 show again. And uh, Ginny Jones, look at me now. (laughs) (laughs) All this and more on this exciting episode of Matters. His name is Matt. His name is Matt. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Welcome to Matters, where two guys named Matt talk about what matters to them. I'm Matt Noss. With me across from the table is Matt Rose. How you doing, Matty? What's up? Not too much, my friend. Having a good week so far. My I'm, wife. I'm, I'm having a better week this week than I did last week. So I'm. Right. I can hear it in your voice. I was. Uh, we talked about it off mic, and it'll stay off mic. But mm-hmm. I'm uh, glad you're feeling better this week. Yeah. And um, my wife is back at work, which adds a wrinkle of interesting to the house. <laughs> um, I bet. Our sweet, sweet baby girl is now 14 weeks old. Uh, so uh, Catherine went back to work, and we're dealing with it. We are dealing with it. So at what point do you stop using weeks and start using months? I don't know. I'm sure that once it gets like, I don't, I don't think anyone wants to be like, oh yeah, my baby's 36 weeks. Cause then you're just like, some people like literally will say days, like even at three months. I think, I think before like two weeks, like days make sense. But then once you get to a point where it's just like, I don't like, I don't care that your baby is 18 days old. Tell me how many weeks. And then it gets to weeks and it's like, tell me months. And then eventually, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't tell people, oh yeah, I'm, you know, because I mean, I'm just I can't do the math in my head, but it's like, oh yeah, I'm two thousand weeks old. Like, right. who gives a fuck, man? Just <laughs> tell me how you how old you are in years. Thank you, American years. Uh, <laughs> Matt, we are very lucky because joining us on the show today, you may know him f- as the lead vocalist in the band American Standards, whose new single "Weep" just came out through Decibel Magazine. Whoop, whoop. Please welcome to the show, Brandon Kellum. That was a that was a very legitimate intro there. I feel like I have to live up to this intro now. <laughs> you may know him from is like used lightly. Everybody's like, "Wait, who? Rewind us with that. Hear that right? You may know him from." <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, really oh no problem. Congrats on the baby. Thank you Sounds so like much. I haven't got sleep in what eighteen weeks. He said. <laughs> uh, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. She is finding a way to fall asleep. And that way That's is good. by nursing on my wife. <laughs> uh, she doesn't like it. I don't like it. But you know what? If they fall asleep, you take it. Now I, you got to figure out what does uh, 18 years convert to because you don't got any uh, free time until then. That's correct. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you are joining us via the power of Skype uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so I... Uh, Careful, eagle-eared listeners um, <laughs> may hear that the sound is a little bit different than it normally is, but we're relying on Skype. Skype's going to pull us through. I think we're going to be okay. I'm sure it's fine, or it'll sound like I'm in a tin can, whatever. I mean, <laughs> bear with me. I mean, it's like 120 degrees here pretty oh, much no. for the next six months. No. So, uh, Yeah, today, I think it's, what, like 68? <laughs> yeah, it, it is not. And, and like, <laughs> I was walking uh, into work. And like by the time I got um, to my office, <laughs> I had to take off like the outer shirt that I was wearing. I was like, nope, <laughs> too warm for me. No, thank you. So if we were just to come to Phoenix right now, we would melt into yeah, a I would pile burst, of goo. I would burst into flames upon Matt like hitting the sun. It would be like the end of near dark, man. I would just burst into flames. 
the trick is you go into work without the outer shirt and then you put it on to cover the sweat stains. <laughs> See, that's a good plan. I would I would just sweat right through that outer shirt. And that's the one that I would have to dry clean. So no thanks. T-shirts are easy to wash. <laughs> dark colors. It's about dark colors. Otherwise, you get that like weird off-white yellow stain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And being, I'm a colorblind guy, so I don't even see the stain until my oh, girlfriend man. mentions it. So oh, God. Like, I'm just wearing this white shirt thinking everything's fine. So she's like, did you go to work like that? <laughs> and you've got Where this... were you this morning? <laughs> and you've got like this clumpy yellow mask. Well, yeah, you used to have that. You used to have that in high school, but you didn't wear them to school. You would wear them under. Like you're wearing a, a white T-shirt under your your shirt right now. I the, 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 getting to know me. I have worn a T-shirt. My I was born in a T-shirt, <laughs> but not like like I'm wearing. You were the kid at the water park that wore the T-shirt down the water slide, right? One hundred percent. There's a lot of shame issues. With <laughs> I mean. Do you, man? I live. I I live it. Put me in a tarp. It'll be. <laughs> so I I have always worn t-shirts, and I'm, my mom. So you, you have to know this about my mom. If my mom could dress me like a 1984 Ralph Lauren polo ad, she would for the rest, rest of, of my of your life. life. Rest just of your like, life. Just like just creased khakis, blue polo shirt. Big smile, popped collars. Like that's what she wants from I'm, her I'm little glad, Maddie. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that you never really went the popped collar route. No, I can't pull I, it off. I can imagine Dougie, your brother, my brother popping that collar. But my but brother. You... So I have a brother. He's three years older than me. We lived. Uh, we lived in this place that was near Gross Point. So Gross Point is like this interesting. Beverly Hills esque rich neighborhood. So like we were we were born and raised in Detroit until about ten years old, but we were very close to Gross Point, which is a very kind of snooty, affluent, well to do, well to do area. area. <laughs> and we went to church in that area. So when we went to church, like all of all the Gross Pointers had like pink polo shirts, white white shorts, popped collars, yellow sweaters tied around their neck. And my brother was like, my people. These are my people. Like, if my brother... I, mean, I feel like you missed an opportunity there. You said the name is Gross Point. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious here. I mean, it's obvious. Take it... them down and make them come down to your level. Right. <laughs> I, I was not a clever kid. <laughs> You like oh I don't know why I'm gonna ask you did you have any bullying situations <laughs> growing up? Um, I can't really think of any times like honestly like and this is like the the, the opposite of what any like band you're supposed to say they're supposed to like oh I was like such a you know I was getting bullied every day in school I never really felt like I had that but I always felt like so I was like kind of the the oddball in school that hung out with everybody. But I had like these, like probably ten inch tall blue Liberty spikes, like my hair. <laughs> I dressed completely punk rock and listened to maybe two punk bands. <laughs> I was pretty much all into metal, and like because of the blue hair that was like a foot tall, I think like everybody just had their own nicknames for me. Which, looking back in retrospect, may have been bullying, but like I took that as like a a badge of pride almost, you know? I would walk I think around it, school and like someone would be like, ah, oh, it's Sonic the Hedgehog. And they'd be like, hey, come see this guy. And then I'd just be hanging out in this random group of jocks one day and skaters the next day and this and that, you know, every single time. So it was like, I kind of felt like I didn't fit in anywhere, but I, at the same time, kind of fit in every group, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I I think that I think that as long as you were able to and I mean roll with the punches when you're talking about bullying usually means something completely different but <laughs> <laughs> you roll over into yeah. a ball <laughs> and protect, guard your, protect face. your head protect your head <laughs> got to protect um, the face but the the fact that you would be able to talk to a group of dudes one day that typically are not that friendly to punks and then the next day talk to i don't know like the nerds one day who are a lot more friendly um that's that's good because that really prepares you uh for life after high school and True. yeah uh and and like there's a lot of people who never learned that skill and it's very apparent once they go to college or once they go out into the workforce that they expect people to accommodate them and it's like no dude <laughs> you have to be yeah. able to talk to different groups of people and if you can't do that you know you're gonna sink so the the fact that looking back i almost feel like i was like a a caricature of a person like i could i can definitely (laughs) see like if i was sitting in front of the dude that's like drawing something like how he would have drawn me you know and i think that like made it easy to point me out whenever i was walking through a crowd like everybody knows or knew who i was um but it wasn't because like i fit in anywhere perfectly it was just like i didn't fit anywhere in anywhere and that's why i kind of just made myself you know, go with the flow with anywhere. Right. That, that's such a cool, like, oh boy, I sound like the oldest man on earth. That's really cool. <laughs> Up next, we're going to play <laughs> Perry Como's Papa Loves Mambo. Here we go. Wow, Perry Como. Um, but to that point, like, when you, because I would say, like, Matt and I have always like we've been friends for over 25 years over 25 absolutely yeah um, it's geez it's coming up on 30 yeah so we, we've been friends for quite a while and we always hung out together because it was always that thing of i i was much more socially ambiguous like i could go nearly anywhere and people would be like hey matt yay matt's here um but I always just wanted to hang out with Matt because it always seemed like Matt was always much more real. Like, you know what I mean? Then, yeah. then have, <laughs> then doing I'll, other stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you a story. Um, it's quick. So we all had to write our own quote for the yearbook. And it, I think it was, I will always remember. Like that's how, what it started with. And other people were like, I will always remember the friends I made and the memories. And and mine was, I will always remember hating this school. (laughs) And there were people who were like, dude, why would you say that in your yearbook? And it's like, because it's true. I fucking hate this place. This place sucks. And everybody in it is like a, a pile of crap. You know, like, you know, a couple people teenage. got exceptions from that. But <laughs> some rocking teenage angst. Yeah, but also it was true. Most of the people <laughs> that went there fucking sucked. Um, and that, you know, I, 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 I never tried to, like, hide that fact and be like, oh, no, everyone's great. Like, no, never, never for a second. 
I hope that was like your yearbook quote. Like everybody here is a pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I don't even remember what mine. I would. Uh, I would love. I would love to see you just go back in time and be like, "You, you're a pile of crap." Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Well, what well, are you gonna do? Go on, was it Jenny Jones that used to do that? Like the look at me. Now oh episode? yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I, I did not know this until like a couple years ago. But Jenny Jones had that guy Rude Jude. I don't know if you remember Rude oh, Jude. I remember, I remember Rude Jude. Okay. Yeah. Inform me on Rude Jude here. I'm so, curious. So Jenny Jones would have this guy on, and Rude Jude was exactly what you expected. <laughs> you you bring on a teenager who's having trouble, Rude Jude's going to knock her down a peg. <laughs> you have the I'm XYZ and sexy, and Rude Jude's going to tell the truth. <laughs> and, he, and he really... On that show was a state. He was a fixture. Is this the guy that dressed up like a sergeant or whatever? Oh no, that was no, that was, guy. that was a different uh, guy. Different guy. <laughs> okay, continue. So, <laughs> so he he became like this huge thing on Jenny Jones, but at the same time he was the window washer at the record store I worked at. What? Oh my God! Seriously, <laughs> Rude Jude was a was a window washer in Rochester, Michigan, and now he is the afternoon drive time DJ on Sirius XM Shade Forty Five. Yeah, he is. Holy shit! So, uh, hey, you know, I feel like you're breaking some news here. I mean, that's gonna hit the blogosphere. <laughs> right. It's gonna get that matters bump. Sirius XM. <laughs> Rude Jude used to wash windows. Now look at him. Now look at him. <laughs> I knew him. Everybody who's on this show. <laughs> You're going on to big things. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so uh, both Matt and I were like, when when you were like, let's, uh, I would love to be a guest on the show. We were like, awesome. And we were both like, we got to listen to this band. We got to listen to your band. I'm yeah. so sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be that'd be like something I would say. Don't don't poach my my stuff. <laughs> I have to be self-deprecating before you could just be like, you know, I listen to it. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you listen to Roach Coach. I li- I put it on. I put it on uh, the overhead speakers. Gave it's, it that Chris Cow challenge. Give it a Chris Cow <laughs> challenge. I was running. I was doing some housework. I was listening to it on headphones. I activated the pit nearly immediately with that thing. <laughs> nice. Weep started, and I was like, okay, cool. A lot of feedback. Got some feedback. Up. Uh, and here we go. Activate the pit. <laughs> it's time to get rolling. Uh, we'll, we'll, we won't, uh, we'll kind of see where it goes from here, but how long have you guys been together? How long have you been the band? You know, your standard run-of-the-mill, what everybody asks, everybody who's ever been in a band ever question. Fair, yeah. No, so um, this band's been around since 2010, 2011. Um, I've personally been doing it for about 15 years. So um, I, I remember way back, my friend had a drum set, and I wanted to sing for a band. Like, I, I had no skill in singing, which you've heard our stuff, so you know that. And uh, and my dad, for Christmas that same year, bought me a guitar, I think, as a subtle like hint, like, hey, 
you don't got those singing pipes. Maybe you should jump into an instrument. And I remember seeing that guitar and be like, I don't want this guitar. Like the singer gets all the girls. So why would I want to play guitar? And then slowly over time, that's where I was very much in my like new metal phase. Slowly over time, I started picking up the guitar and, um, and playing like toxicity had come out. And I was basically just playing every system of a down song I could play, you know, which explains why, like as a guitar player, I felt like I was always strong at writing songs, but never the most talented guitar player. Because, like, all the System of Down is great. Like, they're not known for their insane shredding, you know? And uh, so that's kind of that's what started my career in bands. I did that. That was a dream for about, I don't know, probably five to eight years or so. And at the time, we were younger. We were touring a lot. We were doing, you know, a few months out of the year. Or a few months at a time, I'm sorry. And uh, all the guys just got tired of it. As, er as everybody got a little bit older and crossed, you know, now they're 20, now they're 25. They started, you know, buckling down, having real lives, uh, you know, getting married, having kids, doing those types of real life adulting things. And uh, I just figured, you know, I'm going to jump out of this, you know, if everybody's not serious about touring and about making this a career anymore. And I felt like we had finally built ourselves up to the point where we could make it a career. And as long as we were on the road, we were making money. Um, but the second we came home, we had to, you know, go back to a real job. Uh, so that's when I I basically decided I'm going to stop this. I'm going to get a real job. Um, and and I did that. I moved into a more corporate job. And uh, soon after, some guys reached out to me and they said, hey, I know you're not doing anything in music anymore, but you just want to do something for fun. Uh, maybe we'll play you know, some house shows or play with the bands that come through that we enjoy, but just for like one-off local stuff. And, uh, and we did that, and that's essentially what American Standards was. So it was just some guys on Craigslist that reached out to me. They had heard the old stuff. They, uh, they wanted to do something to just do a couple of shows every few months or so, nothing too serious. And uh, within that first year, that's when we ended up getting signed. And then we were touring more than I had ever toured with the old bands um, and doing it at a level much higher than I had ever done in the past. So you're like, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, we'll just do something super nonchalant. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a whole like the, the common thing that everybody says, like when you stop looking for it, that's when it kind of like falls in your lap. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was just like, all right, I don't even want this anymore. And still to this day, like even with American standards, um, we get offered a lot of stuff that we have to turn down just because the same as, as, as me, it's like all the other guys are also in a point in their life that if we get offered some tour that's six months long and it's a great tour, but we're going to be hustling and grinding the whole time. And the minute we come back, we know that we have to go right back to work. We're just not at a point in our lives that we want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. We want to do like the right tours and play uh, with bands that we want to play with, right. but we don't want to, you know, risk what we have in our day jobs or, uh, or just go out there and grind for the sake of grinding. Right. Right. It's, I, I, I don't think we've talked about this, but I, I'd love to talk about it. It is hard when you start having a level, like when you're 18 and you're starving, that makes sense. When you're in your 20s and you're fucking eating ramen and mac and cheese and you're living on a you know futon on the floor, that's fine too. Like, who gives a shit? You're, it's your 20s. You're kind of supposed to do that. Right. But like, there is this threshold that you kind of cross in lifestyle that like when you cross it, it is a lot to get you to be like, oh, I want to go back to that place. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's around like the 25, 26, 27, somewhere around there where you start like feeling like, all right, now people like my, my close friends are starting to, to get married and have kids and do this and that. And, um, and then you have this fear of like, what have I done? You know? 
And I think that speaks to also why American Standards has changed so many members over the years, because it's not the same core group of members. Uh, Corey and I, that plays guitar now, we're the only two guys that have been in it for the full time, you know, for the seven or eight years. Uh, everybody else got to a point where as we started getting more and more offers, it really wasn't what they signed up for. Um, they signed up for something more casual. And they, you know, all respectfully said, all right, I feel bad being the guy that always has to turn down something. So if you guys want to do this at a higher level, um, by all means, find someone that can do it, you know? Yeah. At 26, 27 was kind of when I felt like I was just starting to get my shit together. Like, I feel like everything up to that point was just a car wreck. Just like, <laughs> just like what? Trial and error. <laughs> like I basically spent from like 26 to 30 started like trying to almost fix the previous Drifts. 26 yeah, yeah. years <laughs> of irresponsibility. Like, and it, so like, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you balance the desire to chase a passion, live and like do something that's like very, at least on paper to me, seems incredibly risky with, hey, I got a steady job with a steady paycheck, and I like to eat. So right. <laughs> I like to pay my rent. I like to have, you know, the ability to get here and there. Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, no, honestly, I think, like, that's, like, to me was the where it started becoming fun again. Because definitely in that, like, that 20 to 27 time frame, where I did have my own, you know, apartment and I did have bills. They, I mean, they're not like they are now, but they definitely were something. That's where it became so stressful because I started feeling like if I'm not on the road touring, if this album doesn't sell, then I don't have the money to to pay for my car, or to pay for my apartment. Right. Um, so when I finally, when I, you know, got a more serious job and the band became more of a passion, it started being, well, now I don't have to compromise anymore. I could just say, I could do the band as much as I want or as little as I want and enjoy it when I do it, you know, and, and I know I'm still going to have a paycheck at the end of every week. So a lot of people like like artists and um, musicians always say, like, find what you love and, and get paid for it. But it's like I've done the complete opposite of that. Like when I when I did what I love and ha and use as my sole source of income, that made me start compromising what I was actually doing to say, OK, I've got to do something that I might not do in the past. I've got to take a show offer that I might not take in the past or do a tour there it is. that I'm not 100% yeah. behind mm -hmm. because it, I feel like I have to. And I feel like a lot of artists do that too because they start saying, we've got to throw this huge uh, hook on the chorus to make sure we can get on the radio or to right. get on this type of uh, you know tour um, because they feel like if they don't do that, they're not going to be able to sustain. Because like <clears throat> I've done comedy for years. You know, I, I started taking classes at Second City Detroit and... You know, I, 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 and that was what, 2004? That was around 2000, yeah, two, the end of 2003, October. Second City's like legendary too, so. Right, That's yeah. Awesome. So, Second City, Detroit, um, Little Caesars Pizza is from here. And Mike Illich was the owner. And his son, Atanas, went and saw Second City in Chicago and was like, uh, there's one in Toronto. We should have one in Detroit. And they went, nah, we're good. And he goes, got a real big check here and they went no okay sure um but like uh keegan michael, michael key, key yeah he's probably like the biggest name about. but then mark evan jackson who has been on brooklyn 99 uh, uh and the good, good place, place. Yeah. uh he's from here uh sam richardson who is on veep 
uh, Tim Robinson, Detroiters. who's on Detroiters and wrote for Saturday wow. Night Live. Like a lot of like amazing people have come from this scene. And like, I was like, man, I would love to do comedy. And so like I, I grinded it out, but I, there was never any money. Like almost everything I've done has been for free. <laughs> yeah. So it's always had to be in, it always had to be coupled with the day job. Well, I th- I think when you did the variety show, the the money you made went to buy the cast pizza, right? Yeah. So like I ran a variety show every month, and we made for two, what two years for two years, oh, and wow. yeah, and it was like different acts every month, a full band, and it was like made two hundred bucks, and almost all of it went to buying food, and and beer for the everybody who participated it was like <laughs> nobody's getting if i if i kept the 200 bucks i'm not getting rich you know yeah. <laughs> this is basically a free night of hanging out with people it totally yeah. was <laughs> i mean you had you had fun doing it i, I loved i, I loved doing it i run into this and I, I i the podcasts have honestly been the place where i've been able to avoid this is that Things get on an autopilot with me, and then I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, once I get to a point, and I don't know if it's like that for you, but if it's like to the point where I want to do something super fucking hard, and then I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to sustain it for a while, and then I'm probably going to stop doing it because I haven't challenged myself again with it. Mm. Absolutely. So you, I think mean, like the crux of being like a really goal oriented person is like you always want to hit this like goal. But the thing is like that goal is never truly the goal because as soon as you get there, you don't like you don't like celebrate all the success you had from that. The goal is immediately raised and now yeah, you have yeah, this yeah. new goal. So you're constantly chasing something. And if you don't feel like there's something to chase, you just get bored with it. I mean, that's like the same with with American Sanders now and touring is like I love being out on the road for about two weeks at a time possibly three weeks but after about that two to three week point it starts feeling like a job it's like all right i wake up i do this we jump in the van we drive for six hours we go to sound check and it just becomes that routine and then it's no longer fun because it feels like a job so i love being able to step into that and like take it right up to the point of where it feels like a job and then pull away and say all right we'll do this again in another month or two right because there is diminishing returns on it like there's only there's only like you get the charge i get that like i totally get that like you get the charge you're like cool awesome but once it's like rote and it's like okay yeah um we're yeah we're six hours away so that means i can sleep for four and a half hours and then i can do this for an hour and a half and then we'll be there basically like you start balancing the whole day and it's like well now i'm not this sucks <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, and, uh, and before like you might just be sitting there with your eyes glued to the window and saying wow this is awesome i'm so fortunate it's like in comedy like the first time you did comedy you might have played to five people and said this is the best thing in the world then after you play to five people every single week for a couple of years like those five people don't give you that same high. No. So it starts becoming like, all right, this is kind of a bummer. I'm playing for five people. And I see a lot of bands and especially being in it for, for how long that we have been in it. And, and before this, even we play a lot of like 10 year uh, anniversaries and reunions and stuff or 15 years. And, and we talk to a lot of these bands and it's almost depressing that they're going through that same, they're going through the same thing. They're going through the motions 
And we've heard multiple bands say, you know, the worst part of the day is when I have to get up on stage because they're Whoa. just playing songs that they wrote Ouch. 10 or 15 years ago and it's not exciting anymore, you know? Right. It's like, well, why haven't you cared about the last 15 years of music? Like, we're going back to this, like, time capsule, you know? <laughs> That's, That's nuts. I think music is tough like that because, you know, what we do Roach Coach or I guess I do Roach Coach with uh, Lauren and Jenny. So we are going back to bands that we're kind of at peak nostalgia for a lot of those bands. You know, we're about 20 years removed from about 20 from the majority of it, Mm -hmm. or or especially the upswing of it, you know, at this point in 2000 or 1998. Yeah, you've got the party hasn't started yet as we like to call it i like how you bring in the the timeline here that's yeah we're talking about that new metal timeline so we're pre-gaming pretty hard uh but sepultura's roots is about to hit so so like definitely things are going on but like we're nearly at 20 years so we're looking at people who are now approaching their 30s or well into their 30s and almost 40 where it's like that was what i was listening to in high school Mm -hmm. And what you're listening to in high school will probably be something that you'll listen to for the rest of your life. Even if it's not like an everyday thing, it's still something like what you love in high school has a major impact on you. Yeah. Yeah. You have this fondness for it. Even if you 15, 20 years removed, like acknowledge that it's not something if you heard a band that sounded just like that band today it probably wouldn't be your thing, but you have this special fondness for something that you discovered fresh and brand new yeah, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you on Roach Coast, you guys did an episode of a newer band uh, a few episodes back, and uh, I forget the name of the band, but I remember listening to that band. I had never listened to them before. Mm-hmm. And then pulling up on Spotify, I'm like, wow, if I would have heard this like 15 years ago, <laughs> I would have definitely been into this. Like, now I was like, all right, this is all right. I'm my ticket home. Listen to it again. Yeah, my ticket home. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I might not listen to this again, but I definitely would have been all about this back then. It, it's, it is 100% true. Like that band and that album hit played that pocket so well that like after 102 albums worth of new metal, I was like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) I've been waiting for this. Oh, was that, was that the one that you played for me? Yes. Yeah. Where it was like, not bad. Yeah, yeah. And and it's and it's funny because now I also think of, you know, you know, West Borland's in the Detroit area and I've heard a lot of interviews with him and I've seen his Instagram, you know, and he cares a lot about cats. He really does. <laughs> side note, a friend of mine adopted two cats from West Borland and his girlfriend. Wow, that's random. Now we why? actually met West Borland at a trucker gas stop or gas station um like probably a three or four a.m. in the morning when we were driving back from Salt Lake City. Um, and and I personally didn't recognize him without the makeup or anything. Or the contacts. And he had a huge, huge, yeah, he had a huge bus and everything. And all the guys were like, that's West Borland. I'm like, that's not West Borland. And they're like, that's totally West Borland. And they're checking his, like, feed and everything. And he had posted about how he was driving between the same route that we were from from Salt Lake to Las Vegas. And it was, I'd be damned, it was West Borland. <laughs> so, but, like... <laughs> You listen to interviews or you you kind of read his Instagram feed where he's talking about the things that he cares about now, and he'll say things like, so sorry if this doesn't fit into the window of stuff that I wrote when I was 18 years old. 
you know, because it, because music is a is a time capsule. Like if you write something that resonates with people at 18 when you're 18, they're still going to resonate with it at 30, but you might be like I'm a completely different person at 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, then you know the interesting thing that I'm learning from that too. I don't think I've really said this out loud either is like I'm learning that like like my ticket home there's still people resonating with that style of music but it's not intended for the people that are 30 although we may listen to it and say this reminds me of something that i heard before it's supposed to be someone's introduction from i was listening to radio rock whatever you know the major rock radio station was playing Mm -hmm. and now this is a little bit heavier and this was the introduction into that so like it's kind of interesting for us because we when we do play a lot of these shows with bands that we looked up to we're like this is the coolest thing ever you know we're playing with every time i die or or Trey you or Zayo or some other bands that we looked up to and we think it's going to be the best show in the world but it's normally kind of lackluster outside of the fact that we get to play with someone that we looked up to because mm-hmm. the people that go to the show are the people in their 30s that got babysitters that are coming here <laughs> to see this one band and they're not trying to discover new local bands right um so although they may come up to us afterwards and say that was really awesome i wasn't expecting this it's not as good as sometimes when we play some local headlining show or play some house show or DIY show where no one knows what to expect. And this may be the first time they've ever heard a band like us. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's even if we play in front of 50 people inside of a house, that sometimes is more beneficial than if we play in front of 500 people with some huge band that we always looked up to. Um, Because it is that, it is that introductory versus the nostalgia. Like nostalgia is great, but just like, you know, I mean, I, with the exception of the fact that maybe you might go see my ticket home now because of the podcast and everything. Right. Normally there, I mean, there's probably a hundred or a thousand other bands that sound just like that, that you miss every day and you're not actively searching for just because it's not what you're going to now, you know? Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Like what I listen to on the everyday is not my ticket home. Right. It's, right. it's yeah. not any new metal. Like, I mean, once we do this show, if I hear something, I'm just like, God, I, like toxicity when we did that i was like god i haven't listened to that album forever so for about a day and a half i re-listened Listen to, to toxicity. toxicity and then i was yeah. happy to put it back down again because it, yeah. it's definitely not where i am right now mm-hmm. yeah and that's very much how like i feel like after we play these shows is the people may be super stoked about it at the time but we don't see because we play that show the next time we play a show that that whole same crowd is there because they're not getting babysitters and stuff to come out to see us at the same frequency that some maybe 14, 15, 16-year-old that very for the very first time saw us, now they're a super fan of it, you know? It's, um, so it's like we always have to balance. Like, do we want to play with these bands that we looked up to, or do we want to learn who the new bands are that everybody wants to see now, you know? What you're saying reminds me of something that I talk about with all these shows, because I think about, like, we we have the three shows, we have the network, you know, like... I would do them to an empty room, you know, like I love doing them. So, you know, I love talking with Matt. I always want to find out where his head's at, getting to meet people like you. Like this, is, it's totally worth it to, to me to do these yeah. shows. And at the same time, like, of course there's a desire. Of course, if I could figure out how to make this pay all of our bills, I would love oh, for it. I'd, I'd do it. And I mean, it's not like I don't like my job and, and it's I not like that I don't too, like yeah. what I do. But if I could do this instead, I fucking do it. But, you know, we also have to temper our expectations. And, you know, if we can find a way to do it, 
That's awesome. But in the meantime, you know, I have health insurance. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, that and comes. Expectations are a big part of it. And also, like, I think a part of it, too, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like the idea that you could possibly wake up tomorrow and something caught on is like almost like a lottery ticket, right? Like, there's oh, yeah. excitement that, like, maybe something will happen next tomorrow or next week or the next month. And, like, I feel like I'm working towards a goal outside of just like my everyday, you know? Mm hmm. What I also kind of believe in is that there isn't a magic bullet because like when I was doing comedy, I would think the same type of thing where if I could do this show or if I could sell out or if I could fill this or get on the stage with this guy or do those types of things, that's the thing. That's the lift that I've been waiting for. And although it's true, exposure is always great. It's got to be exposure in front of the right audience. Like we, I did, I had a one man band for a minute and we played, I played. Charles um, Mansion, right? Ch Charles Mansion. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I did this, I did this one man show like Reggie Watts. I don't know if you know Reggie Watts. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I saw him and I was like, that's what I used to do on the school bus. I want to do that. And so I bought loop pedals and I did this whole loop thing. And I did it for years, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then I never worked hard enough. Uh, anyway, I ended up doing this show in front of a very big house. It was a movie theater. Um, I forget the name of it. It's the the one that's in Redford. It's the Redford Theater. Dude, oh, Lord. I didn't know you did a show at the Redford. Yeah, and uh, we opened up. It was part of the Detroit Improv Festival, and they were showing Best in Show. Um, and Christopher <laughs> Not Christopher Guest. Who is the judge in that movie? Um, he's an older gentleman now. Um, not not Bob Balaban or no no. Anyway, he is comedy royalty. Fred Willard. Fred Willard. Uh, that is exactly uh. who it was. Fred Willard is making an appearance at this show, <gasps> and I am opening up, and people are really excited. To meet Fred Willard. <laughs> <laughs> and not so excited. They're waiting like, all right, who's this guy feeling this 20-minute set here? Exactly. <laughs> but to me, I was like, yeah, oh, man, this house is going to be so excited. Nope. Same, same festival like a year later or a year earlier, I did a closing night set in a very big, in a very big space. Because I had a, it was like the second year that we did it. And like the first year, it crushed. So they were like, awesome. We're going to put you in a bigger space. But they also had four stages going on at the same time. Oh, so, no. so I was in this huge space going against like names. No one was there. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Soul crushing just. <laughs> so it, it does, but then it just keeps reminding me like, there's no magic bullet, right? Yeah. There is no one thing that's going to get you there because that one thing that could get you there is probably like the millionth thing that you put out there. Yeah. You know? And you know, it's changing nonstop now because I think especially like with just putting out some new music recently, it's like, I feel like back in the day for a band, it was like, all right, if you get on a certain magazine or a certain website or play with certain bands, you make it, but then now it's really not that because if you can think of when's the last time that you were browsing your social media or whatever else and you saw some big magazine or some big website post something about a band you've never heard of, and then you're like, 
yeah, I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes reading this article on a band I've never heard of. Like, you're probably just not going to do it. And then you never even, and when it comes to, like, playing a big venue, like, you never say, like, I'm going to check out this band because they're playing a big venue. And you never, you never talk about your favorite band. is like, I like this big band because they played with these other bands. Like, mm-hmm. those aren't the reasons, but, like, it's easy to say that like when you're looking at it from the outside, like if I were to get this, then I would somehow have this big spike, but I don't think there's any correlation to any of that. No, yeah, I, I can, I can remember the way that I found my favorite band is my, fr- I had, I made a friend in Canada um, because I, <laughs> this was so long ago. This was like 96 or 97. I liked her website. I liked her website about Winnie the Pooh. And so, <laughs> and so I, because it, it was like funny. She was funny. And so I sent her an email and I was like, hey, I like your site. And then like we went back and forth. Um, and then we started making mixtapes for one another and sending it. And she put two Dillinger Four songs on a mixtape and sent it to me. And I was just like, double whiskey, Coke, no ice. What's this? And then it was like my head exploded. And I was like, ah! <laughs> and so I I don't know if that would even happen anymore because you know people use Pandora or YouTube Music or Spotify or whatever people don't really make personalized lists for people and say hey these are like the 15 songs that I think you'll really like give it a listen right and I yeah. I I, I I think that kids now are, are really robbed of that because I know I used to make tapes for people and I know that that you would always be telling people, no, dude, you have to listen to this, this, and this. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know. If well, as much as, like, I think it's changed, like, I think what's changed is, like, there's no longer, like, this one tastemaker that tells you what's good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. Like, the person that has more value isn't this person that's, you know, super credible with, you know, a million followers. It's like your friend that may say like, Hey, check out this band. I went and saw them the other day or check out this movie. You're no longer looking at Siskel and Ebert to see what they like, you know, right. you're looking to see like who actually do, who do I respect or trust in their decision? Cause I know they have similar likes as me and that weighs more heavily than any website. Um, so it almost just goes right back to the old days of like when they had street teams for bands or, or just that word of mouth, you know, for not even just for bands, but for anything. It's like, if, if Matt, if you if you tell other Matt, it makes it really hard because both Matt. Um, <laughs> but if you tell you got each other, like, check out this, like, my ticket home, he's more likely to check that out than if, like, you know, alternative press posts something on uh, my ticket home. Right, right. You probably right, see right, that right. and scroll right by it and say, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, coming from the record store background that was always you know people want community they want like whenever i i see people talking about something that they're passionate and interested in and somebody else at the table isn't into that thing so unfortunately i'm thinking about star wars even though i'm not the biggest (laughs) star wars fan like i mean it's okay i have no problem with it but like when two people are like really talking about Star Wars and then the third person at the table is like, I don't know, it's okay. The other two just instantly turn on that one <laughs> and they're just like, You what you how can you do that? And at first, for a long time, I would get really mad at that. 
And I still am like, you know what? Not everybody has to like everything you like. Like, I think that's the overarching thing. But I think there's this underlying piece that doesn't get talked about too much, which is like that community aspect Mm -hmm. of I love this so much and I like you and I want you to love this thing I love so that we can so we can share in that because I like the way that that feels. I like the way it feels when we talk about the things we like together. Yeah. You know, I I 100% agree. And I think like that community thing is what helps stuff spark like that. And that's also the reason why, unfortunately, like, like bands like American standards, like why sometimes we struggle because I feel like when we first started as a band, we played with a lot of bands that sounded like that's a lot of hardcore bands and bands in that genre. And people right away knew this is a hardcore band. They play these venues with these types of bands and it's like a built in crowd. And for me, like I am the, furthest from a tough guy when it comes to that style of music but that style of music brings a lot of like oh we're just here to like you know cross our arms and nod our heads or fight or whatever they are and that is like that annoys me more than anything you know so i think uh we we start distancing ourselves from that scene and start saying we just want to play with the bands that we like i don't care if they're a pop punk band an indie rock band a hip-hop artist if it's a band that we like then we're going to play with them and what that did for us, and that was probably around year two or so, what that did for us is it, it started exposing us to much wider crowds than the people we were playing with before. But a lot of the people that we played for before started saying, all right, they're no longer like part of this clique or part of this scene. I was I was going to ask about playing. that. I was I was going to yeah, ask so if, if people said that like you sold out or something like that because you were playing with, with a wider variety Or you don't respect stuff. the community or yeah, you don't get yeah. the scene. Yeah, so now we're no longer part of this close-knit community. And like you said, like in the example of Star Wars, it's like, all right, these two people can bond right away, and anybody else that's in that camp could bond right away. But if you're just like, oh, it's all right. Or like, I'm more of a Star Trek guy. They're just like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's really life. I mean, going back to kind of talking about my years in high school, it's like, it's very easy to say that I'm punk rock or I'm, I'm goth or I'm nerdy or I'm, you know, a jock or whatever it may be and just say, this is what we are. I fall in this group um, because you have that instant built-in community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like American Standards had that at once. And now I feel like our community, the people that come to our show on a regular basis are people that feel like they're outcasts from all the other scenes. <laughs> so we have this re- weird, like, amalgamation of like, all right, there's people that go to metal shows and punk shows and emo shows and hardcore shows and like all across the board. Um, and it's harder for us to, um, to build up as quickly as when we started, but the people that we do appeal to normally are like the one-offs at the crowd. So we play in front of a crowd and, you know, maybe like 60% of the people don't get us or 70% of the people don't get it. But the people that do are like lifetime fans. Right. Um, whereas if we just play to this one crowd, everybody may get it, but they also like 20 other bands that sound just like it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I kind of feel like to me, at least like. I kind of draw connections to life. I feel like the same thing goes for anything else, politics or religion or otherwise. It's like, it's easy to say I subscribe to this one set of ideals um, and not go against that. But sometimes when you're in that one set and you say, well, this doesn't make sense to me. I believe something outside of this. You feel like you're almost like, um, you know, ostracized from that group or that tribe. Like you're um, the so heretic just, who's, who's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why can't you just accept things the way that they are? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hell, like, I don't know about you guys, but I was definitely the guy in, like, you know, junior high and even freshman year and on, where I was like, all right, I only like metal. I don't like hip-hop. I don't like this and that. And it's like, well, 
now I'm like more well-rounded and there's a lot of horrible, horrible hip hop, but there's also some good hip hop. There's a lot of horrible metal, but there's also some good metal. It's like, yeah. there's good and bad and everything, but you can't just say because it's this, then I don't agree with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of feel like my, my life across the board, like everything's like, you've got to just be able to pick and choose what you like, you know? And it's, it's harder to do that. And it's especially harder to uh, appeal to people that all get it right away because it's harder just to say like, you know, we are a little bit metal, but we're also a little bit punk rock and we're also a little bit this. And you may see us with a hip hop band. Um, you know, people just, it's not as easy to put it into a box. So what you're saying is that you're not math metal anymore? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if we I, can... always, <laughs> I always joke with people about that because yeah, like, the math thing has definitely been attached to a lot of like the style of music. It's like, no, we're, we're definitely common core when it comes to math. Like, everything, <laughs> everything. It's like, we, when we are like playing odd time signatures, it's because it just sounded right. It's not because like we're going to make an odd time signature. <laughs> we got to make sure everything's in seven or we're not playing it. <laughs> that is not us. I, uh, I, I also always joke and say like, I'm the least talented guy in music, but I've got the most passion for anything I do. <laughs> so whether it be music or otherwise, like I'll be the guy that's like pushing it the hardest, but I'm pushing it the hardest because I'm like, I just, I don't have the same talent as everybody else. Like, I feel like if I ever had the talents of some other people, I'm like, why the hell aren't you doing better than you're doing? You know, <laughs> but you're willing to throw yourself into it. And I think oh, yeah, yeah. that's what people, that's what you need. You know, like I love dynamics. Like I like dynamic people, but I like in music just, the people who go for it you know like when you talk about hip-hop there's a lot of awful hip-hop and but there's a lot of awful hip, hip-hop that i love like yeah. i love the uh, i don't know if you know young thug i'm a i'm a fan i'm a fan right. Right. and at the same time i know not the best. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Oh, there's plenty of that. Yeah. But he throws himself into it in a way that I'm just like, I love him. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Got to respect the guy for trying, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more matters after this. I want you to pay attention. <laughs> matters we're at the part of the show uh where we talk about what we are into this week um but before we do that because during the break i I was upstairs i was taking uh i heard my sweet baby crying (laughs) uh it was bedtime it was bedtime for she was not happy uh she didn't have a nap today so oh man that makes the baby fussy i bet uh so it makes me fussy (laughs) (laughs) 9 15 i would be in bed right by right now (laughs) so we we put her to bed and um i was there and i just wanted to ask you this question brandon um 
because we've been talking about our passions, we've been talking about what we've been doing. Like you're in the band, you have your professional life. What does then? This is a this is like a fucking workshop that you have to go. This is like a corporate training question um but like what does success look like for you in your mind do you ever think about that or is that like i don't even fucking put that in my mind because i think that is crazy to yeah, think no, about that's, that's a good question so i think like success for me for one like you could only measure it against yourself and that's like where i felt like i used to get really frustrated and stressed out when i was younger it's like i would always measure it against other local bands that started and then the first week they're playing with the biggest bands and get big, the biggest tour offers and that was when i was non-stop stressed because i was always comparing my success against somebody else's now it's just like success is like me doing something on a greater scale than i did it last time so like with putting out weep our last song like success to me is like all right we're couple weeks in or two weeks in now we've already got more streams and more downloads than an album we put out a year ago holy uh, shit wow it, yeah we premiered it on a, a magazine that's been around since the 90s that has like you know a million followers or something like we that was success um you know uh, compared against ourselves but like what the future looks like um, for american standards and what success is in that realm is more of like playing the shows that we want to play when we want to play them it's not touring non-stop it's not like you know, selling whatever, whatever a good amount of albums is for, you know, today's standards, which who knows what that is. Um, but it's really just saying like, when we want to play a show, when we want to play a festival, when we want to play this, like how easy is it for us to just ask and get on it? Uh, locally in Arizona, just about every band that comes through that we want to play with is a band that we could end up opening for, you know? Um, and that's why like those 10 year shows and those 15 year shows have come through. Now it's like, how do we expand upon that and say, okay, Maybe the show isn't coming through Arizona, it's coming through California or somewhere else. How do we get on that show and not have to, you know, hustle and say, you know, we'll sell 500 tickets to get on that show. Um, so that's kind of what success is, you know. Um, and I, I think, like, I feel like we're building our way there. Um, and it's only taken, you know, seven years or eight years as this band and 15 years outside of it to, like, learn that. I love that answer. I, I feel that answer. You were talking about it earlier in the show that it's kind of like when you stop, it's almost like when you stop wanting something so bad is when it shows up. When you were saying that, like, I really identified with that. Like, there is no way I would have thought one of the things that takes off of what I do is a show about new metal. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it, when when Matt worked at the record store, we you know you'd play we'd play a game called find the worst shit you know like yeah. one up each other with the yeah. worst album where like I found a cover of Tom Jones covering Lenny Kravitz Are You Gonna Go My Way bad <laughs> just objectively a bad song. And then, you know, Matt would go and find some new metal shit that was even worse. And it was just like, ouch. Like, I th I really <laughs> thought I had this locked Blinded. up. I was ready to go to the bar and make you buy first round. And you just whip out fucking, I don't know, Crazy Town or some shit. And it's like, <laughs> God damn it. Dude, I thought I thought I hid that. I thought I hit it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm playing scrape for the crew, you know. But it, but what I've kind of learned 
from that is number one for me like the success is being able to do it and enjoy doing it like there isn't a part of me that's like cynical about doing this this is not a hardship because i because i can stop like because this isn't my revenue stream i get to do whatever i want because there is no stakes to it in that way like we have the freedom we you know, Roach Coach, we swear a ton. Transmissions from the dark side, we swear a ton. This <laughs> we show, get, we get pre- well. I usually don't get filthy. You and Jen get filthy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it is not safe for children. Uh, transmissions from the dark side is looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, you're gonna love it. Uh, but like, I I feel like you you've got to get out of your own way when it comes to the money thing. You know, like if if it works and it resonates with people the money will come but it's got to resonate with people first and people yeah. know when you're doing something for money yeah i mean and that's the beauty of it is like i feel like there's so many like local artists where i see them you know they go up on stage and they're bummed that there's 20 people there and they get up on stage and they get off stage and they complain about every mistake that no one noticed except for them and you know they're not having a good time and that's why bands break up so quickly or they you know they just stop doing stuff because it's it's their their i don't think their heart's in it for the right reason you know like for us like if i can go up there and you know on a a friday night and play to 20 people i've never heard us before and you know i get a little bit of money at the end or i don't i get you know maybe some drinks or something like that but like the people there are having a good time it's like winning over 20 people is equally as satisfying to me as winning over 100 people or 1,000 people. It, it's the same feeling regardless. I like, um, I like that I, answer I that's a lot. I to find it. I, I like that answer a lot, and it reminds me of my favorite concert of all time. Matt knows where I'm going with this. We uh, went to the Magic Stick in Detroit, and we saw Dillinger 4, and there was maybe 40 people there. Um, Dillinger. So the uh, the majestic um is the main venue and then the magic stick was the venue that was upstairs and then in between the two was a bowling alley. And yeah. so they showed up before sound check and they got drunk at the bowling alley. Nice. <laughs> and then they go through sound check and then the opening bands are playing and Matt and I get there and it was like, Oh, okay. There might've, there might've been like 80 people. I don't know. Um, but like I, I went up to the bar and I was getting uh, whatever beer was cheapest, which was probably a PBR. And I get like bumped from behind and I was like, the fuck was that? And it was, it was Patrick Costello, the bassist (laughs) break dancing. (laughs) Where he just, he saw these two guys doing something and he was like, I can do that. And then he ran over and he just like barreled through and it was just like, watch this and did a backspin. And it was like, what the fuck is that? And I looked and it was like, oh my God, that's Patty. And he's doing a backspin. And then like he just got up and he was just like done. And then he ran away and then he got up on stage and he was doing backing vocals for one of the opening bands. And they were just like, what are you doing here? And it was like, this show is off the rails and they're not even up there yet. And then they get up there. And um, have you ever have you ever seen Dillinger 4 ever? No, I've never seen him live. Okay. They're insane live, and I recommend seeing it because 
they might play 10 songs and it's really the chatter in between songs that's worth going because like if you wanted to hear you know like them at peak you'd listen to you know a record if you if you go see them live you're going there for them talking back and forth and, and doing whatever and making fun of people in the audience, which is primarily what they did at our show. <laughs> they just picked a few people and they were like, hey, you, you right there, you. Yeah, you. No, nope, In the braid not- shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, braid? Why are you listening to braid? So two songs in, he's completely naked. Well, he didn't get naked until later. But he was shirtless the whole time. <laughs> it will no wait wait no. I think it was five songs, and the pants came off, and it was like ah. Well, I expected this would happen, just not this soon. <laughs> at one point, he turns around and throws up. He the, well, that was the last song. I think that was "Superpowers" enabled me to blend in with machinery. And he was just like, he's playing, and then you just see him go like, (laughs) and then he just like, he started to stumble, and like, (laughs) the rest of the band, like, kind of like, I I think it was maybe Billy catches him, and he was like, whoa, 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 dude, 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 dude. And then they all just kind of stopped playing, and they were, (laughs) and Eric, the the one singer, goes like, well, I guess that's it, folks. And you can see like a lot of the a lot of the people were just like, hey, what the hell? And like Matt and I are laughing our asses off. We're loving this. And there were some people who were like, boo, or whatever. And uh Lane the drummer goes, Are you saying boo or boo earns? Which, oh yes, the Simpsons reference. Yes. <laughs> to which Matt and I were just like, Yes. <laughs> I was saying boo, boo earns. <laughs> and then like a couple of them stuck around um to like apologize to people individually uh well one of them took patty backstage so he could like barf most a of bunch. it out and so we stuck around for a little while and then we go downstairs and it was like what's going on down there patty had made his way down to the exit and he was buck naked and he was giving people who came to the show hugs. Nice. And it was just like, I will never forget this night. <laughs> this was the best show ever. <laughs> like, you know, I could have seen Bad Religion play a double encore, and it would have been like, that was a great show. They played every song I wanted them to play, plus a couple I didn't think I wanted them to play. I really got this experience. Yeah, where <laughs> experience. it was just like, I did not see anyone from the original lineup barf on themselves and then fall over and then someone in the band make a Simpsons joke. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you say that. Cause honestly, I'm, I'm on their same mindset. Like the best shows aren't the shows that have the biggest crowds and where they play every song you want to mm-hmm. hear. It's like the show that's an experience yeah. that gives you something that you was that you weren't expecting the whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like the same way. It's like, if I go to see a band, like if I want to hear them just play the 12 songs they have on the record, I'm just going to listen to the record, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why the bands that I like are the bands that don't sound, you know, perfect live. And that, that's hard, especially in our style and playing heavier stuff. It's like so many bands go up there now and they play with tracks and they, they're basically just lip syncing on stage, which is crazy for a metal band because you think yeah, that's like a absolutely. pop thing. But like, I would say like nine out of 10 metal bands are doing that now too. And it's just, it's, it's hard because like, I feel like 
like I, not from an integrity standpoint, like uh, integrity or not, like a lot of people expect that now. It sounds like that, but I think just from like the like, how can you give me a unique experience if every moment of your set's been planned out? You know? Right, right, yeah. That's that's one of the reasons why I loved that Dillinger Four so much. It was just none of that was planned. That was all spontaneous of the moment. Like, especially when they would just pick people in the audience and be like, you, yeah, you right there, the one in the hat. No, the guy next to that. Yeah, you. <laughs> and just, just the whole show was so funny. It was. I mean, that's a, that's like the difference of like being like, I want a burger. I'm going to go to McDonald's because I know exactly what I'm going to get. And it's going to be exactly the same every time. Right. Or I'm going to go to this mom and pop shop. And maybe it's going to be fantastic, and maybe it's not, you know? Right, but right, like, right, right. No, yeah, so it's going to be the best thing you've ever had, you know? Right, so and I the waitress like the, same thing, the waitress might be, like, super sassy. She might be completely not interested in anything of your life. You roll the dice. <laughs> yeah. It's more of an experience, though. It's like, do you want an experience, or do you just want, like, this isn't going to be the greatest thing I've ever had, but I know what I'm getting into. Right, right. I... I think that's it. I think I think it's time to move on to what we are into this week. Yes. Um, boy, I want to do that transition a little bit better. Let's uh, let's use the power of editing. Maybe who knows? We'll find, we'll find out. Get it? You've got editing skills. <laughs> I know how to hit Control T. No, it's them We our voices sound like angels. Um, <laughs> Uh, so this week, I, um, I, E3 is this week, and I still play video games from time and to time. what's E3? Uh, the Electronic Expo, I don't know what the third E is. Uh, experience. Yeah, <laughs> the Electronic <laughs> Experience Expo, I don't know. Meet um, me at the E3 in one half an hour. <laughs> meet me at the total E3. Um, holy shit. Oh, that's what that's something we have to talk about. Yeah, oh, we will oh, have to oh. talk about that. But um, so they're starting to leak the trailers of games that are coming, and I've been waiting on this one for a minute. They are remaking and redoing Resident Evil, Evil 2, Two, and oh, I nice. am fucking pumped. I didn't get to watch the video that we you were, and Gent sent yesterday, but we can watch it. After we're gonna the watch podcast. it after yeah, the show yeah, today. Yeah. I am so excited about this. Resident Evil 2 was a owned game for me on the PlayStation 1. Uh, uh, play no, through it. I thought that was 2. Nope. That was a 1. It was a 1. Resident Evil 2? It was on 1. Oh, wow. Yeah. I will double check. I, th- I thought So I thought Resident you were Evil over do. Silent Hill? Love Silent Hill. Well, so it's not, it's not, the, it's not that Silent Hill doesn't also get love. It's just that I don't think that that was being remade right now <laughs> no fair fair well i i wanted to play silent hills a lot that looked awesome and then kanomi lost their mind and fired hideo kojima from it and basically scrapped the whole project but i was looking forward to that um we in college i played silent hill the first one oh and i people remember that watch so, me play it. yeah 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 yeah. i remember we would get home from class and it was uh, twitch kelly, before kelly, twitch Kelly would watch, like, Kelly would get home early from class. She would, would be you like, charge him five bucks a piece to sit in your living room and watch you play? <laughs> well, well we did. were all roommates, so he couldn't, but. <laughs> I did have a tip jar. It did not go well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 
I can remember you playing, because uh, that was, yeah, shit, that, w- that was the winner that you got the DVD. Pl- this is how long ago this was. Matt had gotten a DVD player for Christmas, and this was like the first generation DVD player. Mr. Fancy Pants over here. We yeah, for real. Um, and it also came with a six-month subscription to Netflix, but this was when Netflix mailed you shit. And okay, so yeah, yeah. we would just go through and be like, oh, man, they got Six String Samurai. Get that. Okay. And they've also got, like, these Jet Li movies that you can't get in a store. Well, get those, too. And then, you know, just, like, random shit, too. Uh, but then, I mean, th- that was, oh, man, I just, uh, that was such a good time. Yeah. Well, I remember we took a whole Sunday and watched Seven Samurai. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I'd never seen it before, and it was like, it's four that, hours long was, or something. It's, it's, so it's, long. it's a long movie, uh, and we got the Criterion uh, uh, restore of that. Yeah, it was pretty sweet, man. <laughs> oh, we could regale you with stories, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, the, going through the whole, like, kids will never get the struggle of going to Blockbuster. They, I worked at Blockbuster, too. <laughs> but they'll always... We're pretty l- much, like, a year away from, like, kids will never understand what Redbox was. <laughs> <laughs> True, 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 true. But they will understand what it's it's like to pay an extra twenty dollars to be able to stream Netflix. Thanks, net neutrality. <laughs> uh, <you> fucks. <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait. Chris Redfield. Oh man, I I can't wait to see that video. Claire Redfield. Can't wait to see that video, man. Leon S. Kennedy. Leon. Uh, Leon. <laughs> Some of my favorite voice acting of oh, all time. So, have you ever seen any of the Resident Evil games? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, all right. So you know how bad the voice acting is. I mean, all of it was back then, right? It, yeah, like PlayStation One era. It, yeah, but it it comes up a lot in transmissions <laughs> from the dark side. So, well, the it, first <laughs> Resident Evil has classically some of the worst voice acting. Wesker, Jill. <laughs> Calm down. It's like the Tommy Wazawa voice acting. <laughs> I did not. Oh, cheep, hi, Claire. Cheap, 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 cheap. cheap. Uh, what are you into this week, Maddie? Uh, a couple things. Um, for one, uh, I did not know that Hulu had almost all of the DC animated movies. And so I, I like Friday night, like Friday evening, I was going through Hulu because I was like, I want something to watch. And like, I've seen most of the stuff on my list on Netflix. And then I saw that they had like most of the Justice League stuff, like the animated stuff that they had done within the past five, six years that I hadn't seen. And it was like, oh man, done. And so I watched like everything, like they had Justice League Dark um, that I really wanted to see, but that. Like I, I didn't want to pay twenty bucks for, and then poof, now what's on there? So I was super excited for that. Um, so I watched, I fell down a hole for like the okay. weekend where I watched like six movies, um, and this was something that we were going to talk about. The news that Eddie Murphy will be playing Rudy Ray Moore in the biopic. On Netflix. On Netflix. Made my head and your head and Jen Hansen's head explode at the same time. <laughs> because Matt and I, like, we were friends, but we weren't 
like super friends. <laughs> what really cemented our lifelong friendship is Dolomite, the movie Dolomite. Okay. We we would rent black exploitation movies, but that one really was just it's so special. bananas. It really it really is, and we watched that, and we just had to keep like rewinding because it was like I'm not even sure what I just saw. And then we'd like rewind and be like, nope, that's what I saw. That is. We had parties at my house where we watched We would this watch movie. Dolomite. That is legit. That is not a joke at all. I was Two guys sitting on a couch is not a party. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there was a I dog mean, there. there was- <laughs> <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> no, like we we legitimately invited people to Matt's house and like there was I don't remember exactly how many people showed up, but there, I mean, like we watched it with more than just the two of us, like other, I mean, people showed up and we had a good time, but this was before Matt drank. (laughs) So like, this was just pretty much all sober people watching the movie, which isn't as much fun, but it's still quite a bit of fun. We found a way. Yeah, we yeah we found we found life life. finds a way. Especially like if you're the one drunk guy in the crowd, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where everyone's just like, God, who invited him? He's my best friend. He lives here. (laughs) (laughs) Sleeps on the couch. (laughs) What else got, Maddie? Um, I (laughs) I really enjoyed uh, Coco. I watched I watched Pixar's Coco, um, and it was like. Oh, I like I like that movie. I watched it. I watched it with my mom because <laughs> uh, I went over my parents' house. Uh, oh, geez, two weeks ago, and my mom was like, "Pick something for us to watch," because she just like, you know, she doesn't actively look for stuff, but she's like, "You know stuff. You know what we should watch." So it's You're like, young. Our, you get pop culture." Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, I'm forty-one years old. I'm not young, but whatever, mom. Um, 23 skits. And uh, yeah, and I tried to get her into The Good Place, um, which, uh, have, have you watched Good Place? Not yet. Oh I, my I, God. It isn't, it isn't because I don't want to. I totally want to. It's time. Oh, it's so funny. I can't get into another one. I feel like I'm out of the loop here. I don't, I've never even heard of The Good Place. Oh man, it's, uh, Pitch it's, me. okay. So it's about this woman, Eleanor, Eleanor Shellstrup, who, um, wakes up in heaven um, but quickly realizes that she is in the wrong place. And so okay. it's her trying to lie her way through not going to hell. Okay. It sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. It, it does kind of sound it really like really does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's... That's it's, actually the episode where it's the old man, and he has a dog, and the dog's going to hell, but he's going to heaven. <laughs> And then, like, he has to try to talk them into letting the like dog, dog into yeah. Well, so it, it becomes, it eventually becomes a group effort. It, it, watch the first episode, and if you're not, if you don't laugh within the first two minutes where they describe how she died, then you know what? Maybe the show isn't for you, but I was it's a hooked. dark. I have to laugh at, laugh at some old lady dying now? She wasn't, she wasn't old. Maybe she was, like, mid-30s. She just okay. died in a really embarrassing way, all right, all right. and I, I, uh, I, I was on board, and uh, it just goes, it goes from like, 
crazy to absolutely insane within a couple episodes and just kind of keeps a, a crazy trajectory and it's got a really talented cast it's i i think it's a hilarious show love it brandon what are you into right now i'm kind of like a nerd for like netflix documentaries and like docuseries mm-hmm. so just like much of the the rest of the world i just finished watching uh wild wild country okay oh yeah. man yes the, yeah the cult the yep. whole thing about the indian guru and everything yep yep i absolutely i mean it's, it's insane it's a slow burn i will say like i feel like i watched the first three episodes just saying all right what's the like the clincher here what's like going to keep me entertained right 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 so it took a while to get there but um but it, it's good it, it has a payoff and it has like it's weird because after we watched that, we went back and we watched these old like PBS specials from like probably, you know, maybe the nineties or something where it paints a completely different picture of what wild wild country does. Like mm-hmm. it feels like it's like there's two different sets of facts of what actually happened. And I, I mean, probably the truth is somewhere in the middle for the two, but it, it's interesting how this has taken off and become like one of the most popular docu docu series on. Yeah. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, and then, um, you, I mean, a little darker than that, and that's still pretty dark, is we watched this uh, Mommy Dead and Dearest recently. Just watched that the other month. That's on HBO. It is on HBO with, like, Dee Dee and Gypsy, and, like, yes. it's basically, like, the mom that raises her, her baby girl to think that she has cancer and that she can't walk. Yeah, it's about and Munchausen so, syndrome. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. And, like, she, she shaves her head because she's like, you have cancer, you're going to, you know, lose your hair anyways. And then um, she puts her in a wheelchair and says, you're, you know, you can't walk and raises her. She doesn't even know her age, you know? So, like, when she's, like, 12 or 13, she's actually, like, when her mom's saying she's 12 or 13, she's probably in her late teens or 20s. And and her mom this whole time is kind of feeding her these lies. That way the community will give them money. They're going on these free trips to Disneyland. They're they built their, Habitat, uh, built her a house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's absolutely nuts. And then she meets a uh, meets a boy on like Christian Mingle or something, who ultimately like kills her mom. <gasps> yeah. And so now they're both in jail, and basically like kind of, like and this is like it's not a spoiler because like the whole documentary is about like well like does she deserve to be in jail because like she's been abused for like twenty five right, years or right, more right, of her right, life. Right. Or, or is like you know what what really justifies what happened? You know, it's it's absolutely insane. But there's that other part that is like, or should she stay in jail because she's been manipulated so much that she knows how to manipulate other people? Oh, yeah, very shit. true. Yeah. Like, it's definitely like a, that's what makes it good. Like I think the story, like the whole time, like you don't know, like or you don't. Like, it's hard to like rationalize what anybody did. And say, like, anybody's the good or the bad guy or this is right or wrong. It's, like, it's so conflicted the whole way that there's, like, really no right answer. Um, And, like, yeah, I mean, maybe it. she's absolutely, like, everybody has bad in them and everybody has good in them in this, uh, you know, in the way that they uh, portray it. I, I, I suggest that documentary as well. It's It is fascinating. There is some pretty grisly parts when they talk about the murder uh, it does not pull punches because it's on hbo and it doesn't have to um, yeah but it yeah is... it's definitely like hard to watch it, like it makes you feel bad about humanity at times <laughs> and it, and it's so wild because of how innocent this girl is portrayed by the mom mm-hmm. like if you heard the story if you heard the story the mom was telling 
you'd be like, oh my God, how do you get through the day? You know, how do you do it? You're so strong. Like it's one of those types of things. <laughs> and then to know that there's this like gross underbelly to it, it is, it's captivating. It's like, wow. Yeah. People can get I mean, I think that's awesome that you've seen it because like we, we watched on, like you said, like HBO. And I don't know anybody else has seen it. So like, and, and apparently this is a more popular story in like true crime and everything. And I mean, this is the first I had heard of it. And as soon as I heard of it, I'm like, well, this is probably the most intense version of like a true crime story that I've heard. <laughs> and I'm not so super long. into true crime and it, and it totally had me. And, and what was the name of it again? Mommy Dead and Dearest. Yeah. You know, so my, uh, my girlfriend's very into true crime and, um, we went and saw a podcast called My Favorite Murder. Okay. Have you heard of this? Yep, yep, yep. And they actually, they sold out an arena here. That it's like 1,200 seat arena. Oh my gosh. They sold out this arena and it was just two girls sitting at a folding table reading a Wikipedia. And not only was it a sold out and we stood in line to get there, but as soon as we got in, the very next thing is a huge line to buy uh, t-shirts for 30 bucks a piece. So I was like, wow, like true crime is a big genre right now. It's oh, yeah, absolutely. Enormous. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and we also saw um, this pod, our last podcast on the left. Have you heard of that? Yep, yep, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so we went and saw, they had like a last second show they did in L.A. a couple weeks ago, like two weeks ago. And we went and saw two sold out back-to-back showings, one at 7, one at 10. They sold out within seconds, and it was like $40, $50 tickets. And it was at a music venue that held like 60 bucks, or uh, I'm sorry, it held, it held like 600 people. To the, for this music venue, so everybody stood up. They paid all this money, stand up and watch people talk about true crime, and it was oh two gosh. two back to back shows, like just this line around the corner in L.A. It was nuts. Transmissions from the dark side had two live shows at Go Comedy uh, Improv Theater in, in Ferndale. We have much we uh, did, we uh, did, lighter attendance. We did not sell out. <laughs> much lighter <laughs> attendance. I true crime, I personally. I, I personally think that The Circus is my favorite show that we did. Really? Yep. Wow. I love that show. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> what I, I'm saying is I'm very jealous. As like I feel like as a guy that's going out there and we have to get in a van with four other guys and load up our equipment all this and spend fucking all gear. this time and money, like, you know, it'd be sweet if I was just one guy like, you know, talking on a microphone selling out of an arena. <laughs> that that would be sweet. We're working on. Yeah, we're <laughs> I see the piles of money in the background. Don't yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> shh, shh. That's for something completely unrelated. Brandon, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, we're pretty much on all social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, slash American Standards, or for me, Brandon Kellum. We're also on all the streaming platforms. So whether you listen to Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, or Bandcamp, we're on all those as well. Um, honestly, the best thing you can do for the band is stream us on those, add us to your playlist, or share with your friends. Like we are talking about earlier, uh, word of mouth is much more valuable than anything else. Uh, so just telling somebody that, hey, maybe I'm not into heavy stuff, but you might be checked this out. That helps us so much. Okay, awesome. Matty. I am at Karate Dracula on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Matt Noss on Twitter and Facebook. And you can find this show at Matters Pod on Twitter and Facebook as well. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you again, Brandon. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you, Brandon. It was awesome. And we will catch you on the next episode of Matters. Matters. Oh, perfect. Yeah. The Strain.
His name is Matt. His name is Matt. And that's all that matters. <laughs> it was a good try. It was, it was a, a solid try. try.